Hello, it's me, Emma, and this is the People Who Play podcast. A podcast where I talk to people about playfulness, how they play, how they used to play, and how play impacts their life and work. At the start of every podcast, I will be joined by my husband. Hello. It's producer husband. <laughs> producer husband, also known as Ben. Um, how are you? I'm great. I'm going to be monitoring the pods. I'm going to be doing the buttons, the switches, the dials, the volumes. I'm going to be tutting at you when you smack your lips or you say, um, about a thousand times and mm. I have to edit it out. Um, I won't be joining on the interviews. I think that's going to be too highbrow for me. Um, although I do love to play, you know, I play all the time. Play too much, if anything. Oh, it's nice to be working with you again. We've worked together a few times is in this our work? existence. It could be work. This is our work now. Right, okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> you are very good on the technical side of things. So yeah, I like the way I don't have a name. I'm just producer husband. Yeah, you're producer husband. Now... Uh, well, such a cool guest today, uh, Dr. Kyle Myers. A doctor? A, a real doctor, not, not a medical doctor. I've got an itch. Oh, right. No. <laughs> uh, she is a doctor. She's a sociologist. Right. Do you know what sociology is? Let's just be honest. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's this, this sort of study of society and the people within it. Oh, I love that. And she is... Because I, I am a part of society. Yes, you are. Yeah. As, as Am I a functioning member as, of society? Well, during the course of these podcasts, we'll try and find that out. <laughs> <laughs> now, you'll be interested in this chat today because she is um, a fascinating person who is on a mission to revolutionize the way that children are gender socialized so she um, is an expert in gender creative parenting she's written a book called raising them and she raised her child zuma um with no assigned gender label at birth so obviously is that his name or is he a generation z no his name is zuma right yeah so um yeah i chat to her about her experience of that and what was quite interesting for me was i think we actually do a lot of gender creative parenting well emma i am a cis male i am a he him you are and you know i've changed my social media um gender stuff i'm trying to help i mean this this topic isn't that important to me and it is so strange how people get so bent out of shape when it doesn't even affect them if i can make someone else feel better by changing my status to he him and trying to normalize certain things i'm all on board for that ems yep good for you pronouns are important and we talk about that in the in the interview and I think yeah it made me realize how um you know thinking about our kids obviously we have raised them as a boy and a girl um but have always been very open to how they want to move towards their identity um in, in however they want to do that and I thought it was quite interesting listening to her how I was thinking quite a lot about Phoenix and just the experience of him having long hair mm-hmm. um which I didn't even really think would ever be a thing I guess I I don't know you've got long hair so it's just I don't know I see lots of men with long hair but it is interesting how being out and about in the world it's um 
Yeah, definitely like a lot of gender baggage people have. Yeah, one thing you always say, which is so true, Emma, <laughs> is, um, you know, if you see a girl and she's got short hair and she's quite masculine, like a tomboy, that's really championed mm. by society. Um, it's just not the same the other way around, is it? No. If a, girl, if a boy shows um, like hyper-feminine um traits that mm. seems to be like oh that's a concern isn't mm. that strange why it's like that yeah i think that's the deep deep i am extremely i am extremely feminine i'm very close i'm, yeah. probably, I'm like right on the cusp <laughs> you have many feminine uh qualities although there shouldn't even really be masculine and feminine qualities but yes you do and um i think it's had a brilliant effect on the kids to see us have a kind of like pick and mix experience of parents. A less expensive with... pick and mix. <laughs> yeah, no Brazil nuts. Whew. Oh my goodness. You're looking at at least seven quid if you put Brazil nuts yeah, in when a pick I, and mix. When I used to work at the cinema, um, I'd just watch inexperienced mums go around and just fill up that pick and mix bag. And I'm like, when their face, when they weigh it. And it comes out at like, I don't know, 28 pounds. Yeah. And they're just like, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, well, that's a ridiculous bag of sweets to eat. <laughs> yeah. And um, you can't put them back. So what you have to do is you have to take the bag, um, put it under the shelf and just spend the day eating, you know, the sweets. Oh, so it's actually a result for you. Yes. Yeah. Where were we? Um... Well, no, that was my conclusion <laughs> was that, um, you know, you should treat life like a pick and mix. I think a pick and mix is the you perfect so analogy for everything. And life is a buffet. Yeah. You don't have to like everything. You just pick, you choose. And in this conversation uh, where we're talking about identity. And don't get stressed out about someone else's meal. It's got nothing to do with you. <laughs> don't get stressed out if someone wants to spend £28 on Brazil nuts. <laughs> Yeah, so I think a pick and mix is a perfect analogy thinking about uh, raising kids, actually, and just broader sense of identity, um, even beyond gender. Just, you know, go towards what you're interested in and what yeah, brings and, you joy. And kids do cost a fortune, so yeah, the especially metaphor the... just keeps on giving. Yeah. <laughs> right, should we bring your guest on? Let's bring her on. Well, thanks a lot for this. See you next time. Kyle, hello. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. Um, you and I have worked together a bit before um, and we have had a few conversations um, back in my agency life. I've always loved chatting with you and I'm really hoping to get to know you a little bit more um, in this conversation. Um, and I know that your perspective on um gender and gender creative parenting and supporting parents um to kind of break the mold on how we raise our children um in the context of their gender is just so fascinating and insightful so um yeah thank you so much for for being here thanks so much for having me emma so i want to kick off um, a bit with you, actually. Um, I'm sort of exploring this month the the theme of identity, um, and I'm sort of diving into lots of different things and, and listening to things and reading things. Um, and identity has always been um, a really 
fascinating subject to me kind of because it's endless um and the way that it happens and the experience that it happens for everyone is so unique and different and from, from sort of personally I'm sort of interested in uh, a couple of different um avenues of identity I guess that sort of come into um the, the people that I interact with quite a lot one is um identity in motherhood and how um mums often feel um the rapid kind of life change of becoming a mother can have a strong impact on their identity both positively and negatively in terms of sort of feeling a little bit lost and then secondly in um sort of fostering um a a kind of identity creation process that is um, nurturing and motivating and safe and inclusive for children um, in their formative years. So I'd love to sort of touch on um, those sort of strands with you today. And I guess to kick off, I'd love to hear um, a little bit about you um, and kind of how how you grew up, where you grew up, um, and I guess some of the sort of um, the roots that, that sort of make you you um would would love to to sort of hear um a little bit about that to start off Mm. those are great thought-provoking questions and i think i've been thinking so much about identity really lately and i think especially since covid hit because it really made me reassess so many things and um, choose different things. And so I've realized how much um, identity is anchored in like your routine or your job or where you live. And so I've been kind of in this like upheaval, I think for the last like six months um, with my identity, but to go back to, I guess the roots, because I really do think it's really critical for kind of the trajectory of my life story. I grew up in, um, the Mormon community, so like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is just notorious for being known as a very conservative, patriarchal, um, gender binary, biologically essentialist religion and, and culture. And I was born in 1986, so I'm 34, I'm almost 35. And so I think just the, the culture that I was raised in and the time that I was raised in has so much to do with my identity now and like how I was shaped because it was pre-internet you know and like Mm. and and it was also in this really cool time I think between the 70s and between the like 90s and 2000s where I think kids had a like a just at least I did and some of the kids in my community they're the the gender binary it just like hadn't been unleashed like it is so much now in childhood Mm. um i think we see this like blue pink divide it is very linked to capitalism it is very linked to consumerism um and so there was kind of that like you know people talk about the 70s being so gender neutral and then the 2000s being so hyper gendered and so i think it was pretty amazing to grow up in a community where like we were all pretty low income everybody had 40 children in a family because that's just like what Mormons did. (laughs) And so it was just, I totally grew up in that time where it was like, be home before dinner or like you won't get dinner. And we just had so much fun. It was just, it was so much fun. And I don't really remember like gender being too much of a deal in my early childhood and my, like my middle childhood. But then once you hit 
puberty that's where like the gendering gets really serious in the mormon church so before that like all kids go to sunday school together it's more age divided than gender and then but after puberty it's just like you know what my experience was because i was in like a very orthodox like you know mormon community and culture it's just girls are being trained for motherhood and wifehood and homemaking and so so much of my adolescence was um really a, a boot camp for femininity and i my personality and i think just like who i am it just wasn't really jiving well with me like I was like, I don't know if I want to have kids. Like, I don't know if I want to be married. Like, I don't know that I want my identity to be completely linked to a man and the children that we produce. Mm -hmm. But that was just the only role models that I had of just all the, the adult women in my life were Mormon mothers and homemakers and um, wives. And I knew very few women who had gone to college or had a career. Um, so right and like i didn't have TikTok, i didn't have <laughs> instagram like i didn't have tumblr mm. and so i just think it was just this interesting time you know and so so i i like the religious side of things wasn't really make it, it just it didn't i didn't have a lot of resources to be able to try to find answers to my questions but like something just wasn't sitting well with me when it came to like organized religion especially a very patriarchal one where like women don't have power you know at all yeah. like they're not really in leadership positions and so so when i was 18 a bunch of my friends were going to go nanny because like mormons are <laughs> well known mormon girls are like prime nannies because like theoretically they don't drink alcohol they don't have sex they're not going to seduce mm. your partner they are, have grown up with a hundred kids so like we're really <laughs> we're the best nannies so my friends were getting these nannying gigs and i signed up for a website um it was called greatopair.com <laughs> and it was like <laughs> seriously in like the first year that like i was i mean like to be fair I was on the internet right in like MSN messenger yeah. but like dial up right like you couldn't use your landline phone because you were on the internet but like so so I found this website and I matched with a British woman and she was in Germany at the time and her her husband was in the the military and so he was stationed like somewhere in the Middle East and so she was like I have a three-year-old kid and I you know would love to have someone you know come and help me out and so within like a few emails we were like we're probably a great fit i got a passport i booked a one-way ticket to germany and that like completely wow. set my life into a totally different trajectory that um of meeting a woman who had a career she had mm. a degree she had passion she was making her own money and she was an awesome mom you know mm. like and i just was like I'm sorry like, like 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 you know I mean just like the dominoes I guess started falling at 18 that was like the one really one of the first women I ever met that kind of became a possibility model for me yeah. that like not that you can have it all because I've definitely learned that you cannot have it all right like uh, but not perfectly by any means but it was just like oh you can like be your own person you know you know and you yeah. can you can 
have a career, you can use your brain and you can also be a parent, you know, if you want. And that like, that doesn't. Yeah. Um, amazing. And was that the first time you'd ever left um, Utah? Not Utah. So I was born in Arizona and we lived in Oregon for a little while and then we lived in Utah, but it was the first time that I'd really ever left the Mountain West region of the United States. I'd never left the country. That was the yeah. first time I left the country. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And I, I've heard you use this term before and I love it so much. Possibility models. Um, I think in a way it's so much more relevant to modern childhood than role models um mm -hmm. and kind of what you speak to there with possibility models is exactly what you experienced in quite an exaggerated way you had to leave the country and go to a different culture and you know almost sort of um become part of a different um family in a in a way to sort of see how that worked but and, and you sort of mentioned that um you know you didn't have instagram and tiktok and i think one of the brilliant things about um social media or even just user generated content today is that there is um i guess more opportunity for young people to see possibility models um, mm -hmm. and i think your story really speaks to just how important that is um and when there's there's not those possibilities models right in front of you um and you feel as you were describing a kind of disconnect with how you're being formed how you're being um almost like conditioned into these values um like how do you how do you move forward from that if you don't have access to these possibility models totally well and i think that i have i my identity has been so shaped by all of these different possibility models in my life. Yeah. Like whether it's been, you know, women professors or then like exploring my own gender and, and seeing non-binary people um, and genderqueer people who I can see myself with, like who I relate to that it was like, Oh, like these terms can fit me because I think for so long it was just like, well, the people who I do know who are like trans or non-binary, like I don't really know if I like, am like them you know and so I think being able to like the internet cracked this open and then I was mm. able to find different people to be able to like see how they were living and then I mean of course it's it's wild to think that I'm also this possibility model for other people of like someone yeah. you know someone who identifies more as a parent than a mother and someone who you know is really trying to figure out my own gender identity and that that's okay to do in your mid-30s and like someone who equally shares parenting right and is trying to help a lot of especially like women and femmes like hey like we have undergone a lot of socialization that has made us kind of link our parenting and the way like the cleanliness of our home to like this moral dial within us right and like if you haven't done your laundry in a couple of weeks like you're not a bad person and I, like i so i just think that like there's just been this I, I feel so lucky that I have met so many people that like are honest and vulnerable and raw. And so I think that it's, it's able to help me feel more comfortable in my identity because um, it's really nice to connect with other parents who are like, oh, this is a shit show. You, you know, like yeah. this is a shit show. And like, 
we're, we're showing up late to work, but like we made it and, you know, and like, and like our kid is having, you know, just like dry cereal in their lunchbox. Like we were, we're, we're making it work. And I just think yeah. that I'm so grateful to have that kind of a community because I mm. didn't really like that. That isn't really the community of in the culture that I grew up in. Like the culture that I grew up in is like, you have to be the perfect mother and that is completely your identity and you mm. should not want for anything else than that. And so, you know, it's, that that felt impossible to me yeah so crippling and also um perfectionism in a um in a parent in terms of the relationship with the child is incredibly toxic um Mm. having a having a perfect parent is like the you know one of the worst things that you can can be to a child because obviously we need to we need to show them that it's okay to fail and it's okay to try things out and um you know we're, we're okay to enjoy hard things and and all of those kind of things so that that sort of idea of you know having everything sorted at all times and ticking all the boxes and everything off the list and and doing things perfectly is just um i think incredibly damaging Mm, yeah well i i i have kind of thought so much about this lately of like i i know people who are couples who divide like divide right like the household and like life admin of like the the husband goes to work and earns all the income and the wife is at home and she's taking care of the kids and handles all of the grocery shopping and the cleaning right and 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 those homes um you know i walk into those homes and i'm like god your house is so clean and like you really just like cooked chili, you know, like for lunch, like you like whipped it up and you like did the dishes as you were doing, like, you know, like, like it's just, it's, it's so different to me. And then I look at my life, you know, and I just think because we're equally sharing things like our, our house is like a, like a tornado zone, you know? (laughs) And it's like, and it's like, yeah, but like, that's what happens when like, both partners get to be creative and you know like working towards their like work with their careers you know and 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 being parents who are like you know we've got an hour we're not doing the dishes like we're going to the park we're gonna go get ice cream we're gonna you you know and I just think your your time is divided so differently and it's just like it's kind of the sacrifice you make right of like I'm not gonna be a homemaker therefore like our house is gonna be a wreck (laughs) and that's okay yeah, the re- the relationship between the home and how we feel is really fascinating to me. Um, and I think um, that, that a lot of people get um, a sense of um, reduced anxiety and perhaps a feeling of control from um, how the house looks. Um, I personally really struggle to relax around um, like a really sort of... Um, chaotic environment um but equally um do really value doing other stuff other than the house so it's like this constant sort of like balance between you know making sure that you know we're okay to to sort of sit down and relax um but also you know we're making space for other things I do think it is really interesting the relationship particularly in women um between how they feel um and what their home looks like and how organized it is there's uh, there's all this kind of um popular culture at the moment around like organizing and sort of the home edit I don't know if you've seen Mm -hmm. that um and I'm really sort of fascinated in the psychology of that because I know that I do 
I do get something out of having my fridge organized. <laughs> um, but I don't want to do it all the time. No. I quite like um, quite like having one big organize um, and, and then getting on with life. Um, anyway, I'm curious about how you describe um, the transition from when you were um, a younger child um, to, to the sort of adolescent years and it, how you describe growing up in the Mormon community um it it sounds quite idyllic like the way that you're sort of saying that there weren't really many gender constrictions and that it was like really fun um there was a lot of like um it sounds like outdoor play and free play there um and it's kind of um I guess it's it's sort of frustrating in a way to me that that um didn't kind of carry on into adolescence and I wonder if you could help me kind of understand um i suppose the differences of that sort of free um somewhat free range experience and then kind of what happened when you became older and there were sort of additional expectations on you mm. yeah I, so i think there's like a like a timing of it thing so w- with um with Growing up, we grew up and I had an older brother who was three years older than me and then a younger sister who was three years younger than me. And then I have two younger sisters who came along when I was like nine and 12. But so because the church is organized within like neighborhoods, so you have, you know, like a big church that's in the middle of like, you know, like a quarter mile radius or something. And so like everybody who goes to that church lives near that church. And so and then every right and then because schools are also organized that way within neighborhoods it was just like you just knew everybody like right like anybody who was your age you went to school with them and you went to church with them and we i i was always growing up in really in really predominantly mormon towns so truly like like in the u.s mormons are like two percent of the population right but i was growing up in utah which is like 60 percent of the population and then specific cities it can be like 80 percent of the population so i was just growing up in cities where it was like your next door neighbors you know like you were just around them all the time because it was not only did you go to school and church with them but like their dad was your the dentist or whatever so it was just we we i think there was just also this like trust that was happening and also i don't think parenting was as intensive then Mm -hmm. right like it wasn't as intensive um like this helicopter parenting because like my parents didn't have time to do that and so so we would just we were just out like you you'd go to school and then you'd come home and you'd drop your bags and you'd like eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then you were out and you if it was snowing you were sledding at the park if you know if it was warm you were riding your bikes down to like the swimming hole and it was just we everyone was looking out for each other no one had cell phones right i mean like like you just it was just like you just knew when you needed to go home and you were just out and we just had so much fun we were just riding bikes we were playing soccer you know just going next door to a friend's house and like playing dolls and like um mind you i mean if you've read my book there's also total danger that can happen Mm. in in communities that kind of can give this like false sense of security like there's Mm. molestation that happens with kids there's there's abuse you know that happens and so um 
but that 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 happens you know i mean like it it shouldn't happen but i'm just saying like it can happen with a family member it can happen with a neighbor so like that that would happen and i think actually a lot of people have stories like that like in mormon community but more often than not just overwhelmingly it was just play 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 and you just had unlimited kids to do it with and it was just amazing which is totally different than zoomers life i mean not totally different but it's like where we live you know it's like we live by a busy street he can't be running out you know like by himself while i'm in the house like you i I think just this level of surveillance changes between like the childhood i had and then what zoomer had but as far as like there didn't really seem to be much gender divide when i was little because we're all like wearing hand-me-downs we're all just like doing these activities and there wasn't like gender in it like you know dolls would come out or whatever or like video games would come out and like there might be a little bit of like gender separating that would happen but generally we were all just playing together but then i think what happened in adolescence is just like hormones and like this like boy craziness and like teenagerness and then i think that like the surveillance of our parents turned to us not so much as like when we were kids of like please don't come home i don't want to take you to the hospital because you need stitches right it was more like injury mm-hmm. prevention I think when I became an adolescent, it became like virginity preservation. And so there was this difference, right, of like curfews, you you know, like you get this different um, freedom if you can like drive and stuff. But I think that there was still this really innocent part um, that I'm so grateful for that's related to Mormonism because we didn't drink alcohol. We didn't do drugs. We weren't having sex like for I mean, my friends weren't we were like toilet papering people's houses when we were like 16 you know it's very embarrassing you know to think back on it but it was just like so fun like we created such innocent wholesome pure fun like all the way through high school like you know i mean i think like the most salacious thing we did was like when we were seniors in high school we like streaked which you know means like we took off our clothes and like ran through like the high school in the middle of the night and like no one saw us but like we knew we did it and it was hilarious but like our whole our whole world you know like revolved around um music and makeup and and boys and going to the football games and toilet papering people's houses like i just that's like we still it felt actually really really play-based compared to what i think a lot of like 14 15 16 year olds experience now and also because like we didn't have social media and i'm actually so grateful for that like so grateful for that because we just had such a different we were not in our phones at all you know it we we're on the trampoline we were still riding bikes we were like at the swimming pool every single day in the summer in high school like it just felt wonderful yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I think it's so true um and I think the 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 pressure on teens now and the amount of things that they have to cram into their lives um and, and particularly here in England and in the U.S. as well but their academic um commitments that they have to make it feels like teens don't play like as much as you're describing um and i think it's really it's really problematic um i'm interested in how you um 
how your identity sort of expanded um, once you'd had this experience of going to Germany, um, possibility models kind of right in front of your eyes. What what sort of formative things sort of happened to you at that time? Um, and, and, and I suppose I'm interested in, do you think your, your sort of, your experience of play, I mean, you're, you're describing quite a lot of um, what I'd call safe risk-taking there. You're, you know, you're sort of doing things that are, you know, a little bit mischievous, but, um, you know, they're kind of a, a mitigated risk. Um, I just wonder if there was any, um, anything, any, um, I suppose, connections you can make between the way that you played as a child and a teenager and then how you kind of went on to this sort of next stage of of your life when when your sort of window into the world started widening Mm. so when I went to Germany the little kid who I looked after he was three years old at the time and in my book I call him Lulu so Lewis so Lulu um he was really um magical he had this like bright blonde like white hair and like blue eyes and he loved dancing he loved his kitchen set he loved like like he was very um just beautiful and sensitive and artistic and creative and mind you we were living on a military base and so i think the the possibility models of masculinity are very different Mm -hmm. right in like english um military English military masculinity is what I was seeing you know like mm-hmm. when I was 18 and they were like lovely men who were who were took really good care of me and like kind of took me under their wing this really naive you know girl from Utah but I, I got to play with him as my job you know every single day and and I I I just felt cognizant as an 18 year old with this three-year-old boy that like I've got an opportunity here to just celebrate everything that he wants to do and never give him any shame because he's going to get that, you know, you know, like he's going to get that from outside sources and was getting that from outside sources. Mm. And so, um, I think that that was really cool. Like my job was to play, you know, with, with him. And, um, but then I think after I did that, I, I was also learning so much like I was seeing I was watching the BBC for the first like BBC news for the first time and I think because of like the the time when I had grown up in the culture when I had grown up like I, I had very apolitical family um, I just didn't I didn't I didn't know anything and in my school it just felt like the bare minimum for like my high school education because they don't expect you in the Mormon community they don't expect you to go to college as a girl because that's not what your role is right like your role is that they've changed a bit now like they don't mind if you go to college but um if you meet a man and you want to marry him like his career and his education comes first so it's just i think that's also a big part of why i got to play for so long um is because i didn't no one was expecting me to get into college i wasn't under any pressure to do that and so i was kind of in this limbo i think in my early adulthood of like 18 19 years old nannying this kid but also being exposed to new cultures you know and and news and and people who were um making me realize actually how little i knew about the world and that like Mm. it was up to me to change that and so i really felt um inspired to go 
to university, but I had no idea what I wanted to do, which I think is okay when you're 18, 19 years old. So like I went, I came back to Utah and I was like, maybe business, maybe linguistics, maybe art, maybe, you know, and I was kind of going through these majors and, uh, but what was happening is the, the Mormon culture is very, um, just generally very homophobic. And I was seeing how, um, queer people in my life were being ostracized from their family and their community. I hadn't really recognized that I was queer yet. I had a lot of internalized um, homophobia, but I was just like, this doesn't feel right. You know, like this isn't right. Mm. And so it was kind of all happening at the same time of like, I was in university and, and there was all these political things happening. Like same sex marriage was, you know, like going up to the Supreme, um, it was, it was on ballots, right. Of like, people in California were voting whether or not people could get married and they voted that they couldn't get married. Right. And it just like, Mm -hmm. and so then it kind of went up to the Supreme court and everything. So, so it just didn't sit right with me. Right. I think I've always kind of had this, like this, um, very low tolerance for injustice, you know, and like it kind of got nurtured as far as like gender injustice goes with with like the Mormon church of like, why are boys getting things that girls aren't getting? This isn't fair, you know, but then it just kind of spread out to like racial injustice, sexist injustice. Um, so when when I I started going to school, I, like, you know, I went into to university and I found women's studies and gender studies and that was just like everything clicked into place you know like everything started clicking into place and I started learning so much and and I and I actually would say that in my early 20s I just felt utterly betrayed and by my culture by my upbringing you know like learning about um women's history for the first time you know and like women getting the right to vote and like just like I think being taught like taught about the oppression of women and taught about this like systemic you know sexism like it just cracked me open in a way of like how did I not know this right like how was I just like groomed you know for 20 years of my life in this and so then that just I started you know reading feminist literature and 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 I just I was like, this is me, like, this is it, you know, like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be a feminist for pay. I'm, you know, I'm going to figure out what that looks like. And it just, that was my early twenties. And I just like, haven't looked back as far as like there, I really think that if we could figure out how to treat people equitably without, um, oppressing people based on their gender identity, like how much could we level up as a human species? I mean, you know, truly, like I think so many people like, oh, feminism, it's like this cute little thing that you're worried about. But I I just genuinely feel like if we could just get over this gender stereotypes and this gender separation and this binary and, you know, all of this oppression and these gendered norms and roles, what could we achieve? So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, that description of like you being sort of cracked open. um, I can only try and imagine what it was like to fit to sort of, you know, have all of this knowledge pouring into you that somehow was meeting this sense of uh, this feeling that you had this kind of this doesn't sit right with me. What's going on here? Um, I can imagine that must have been 
kind of mind blowing. Oh, oh yeah. I think I'm still trying to like put the pieces back together in my brain. <laughs> you know, in some ways, it was. It was. It was mind blowing and life changing, and 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 I'm and I'm and I'm grateful. Like I'm grateful that I had the experience that I did because I think it did help me really appreciate right mm-hmm. like how how learning happens how growth happens right like how how you have to question things you know and, and find your own way and like is there really a, a true answer for anything probably not you know like I, I don't yeah. you know I don't know but just like that I just I think by being cracked open like that in my early 20s I think it it, it did it tapped into something in me that made me kind of wonder like is there a limit, you know, like, is there a limit to how much can pour into me and how much I can, um, change my perspective and, you know, and like, and question things. So it was, it was, it was, it was a gift. Mm. And you have channeled your passion and all of your, your knowledge, um, and, and particularly now sort of focusing on, uh, trying to revolutionize childhood gender socialization, um, which is absolutely brilliant. And I know you're, in your book, Raising Them is really about, um, I suppose, educating and supporting parents to, to be part of that revolution of how we socialize children um, to understand their gender and how that plays a role in their identity and I wonder if you could speak a bit to um I suppose what happened when you became a parent and obviously that's a huge part of our identity stories um and I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the decisions that you made with raising Zuma um without any gender um labels i believe that um when you registered the birth there was no gender assigned is that correct no in in utah we had to put a sex marker oh okay option for it yeah yeah unfortunately but we you know but we didn't have to assign a gender you know right like no one had to know what was on that birth certificate which i think was really is really wonderful so so this this is a great segue because it kind of picks up exactly where we left off i think so i i became pregnant with Zoomer. I found out I was pregnant with Zoomer on my 29th birthday. And so I had been in, I had gotten a gender studies degree and I was about three years into my PhD program. So I had gotten a a gender studies bachelor's degree and then I had gotten a master's degree in sociology. And then I was like three or four years away from getting my PhD. And so before becoming pregnant with Zoomer, I would say, I mean, I had huge huge growth in how I was thinking about gender, conceptualizing gender, understanding gender. And two major things I think happened was like, I, I, I met in that 10 years before becoming pregnant with Zoomer, I met intersex people, right? Like who may have like sex chromosomes or reproductive anatomy that don't fit like what typically is assigned as male or female. And I met transgender people and I met genderqueer people. And, and I just, I was meeting all these people. We didn't really have the language yet. Like we do now, I think like non-binary wasn't really a, a big term, you know, in like the mid two thousands and they, them pronouns were very, very new. I think like mainstream wise. So I was meeting all these people whose parents had gotten their gender assignment wrong, you know? And, and I was like, okay, okay, okay. Like 
and, and and a huge part of their trauma was related to their childhood right and like and having to to try to like tell their parents and tell their family and tell their community like you got it wrong i really need to be trusted right like like we sometimes i mean i i think that it's shifting as far as like um believing kids right or holding space for that possibility but like that was just such a huge thing to me of like i just know so many people whose parents didn't get it right maybe this is something we don't really need to be assigning and we just need to be holding space you know and like giving kids the the autonomy and agency to explore gender and then also of course everything that I had learned about just like gender stereotypes you know and I just could see in in my sociology program I studied population level health and just these huge indicators of health outcomes and economic outcomes and political representation were just tied to gender not like biological you you know like biological sex or just like just like but how we treat people based on their bodies and so you I was just I could just kind of link all of these gendered outcomes in adulthood back to how we're socializing kids right like how we are taught as children and adolescents like what our role in society is like what are we supposed to wear what kind of careers are we supposed to imagine for ourselves what adjectives fit us like how are we supposed to express ourselves and I don't think that it's like overwhelmingly great outcomes like it's not Mm. it's just it's just not right like the pay gap the political representation gap and just like these everyday experiences that we have with like men not seeking mental health you know care and like women being victims of violence perpetrated by men so just I just was like like you know, I had met Brent and we were going to have, we were talking about having a baby and we got pregnant and, and, and I just had told him like, I know of a couple families who have done this thing. Like, like they don't assign a gender to their kid. There was one family in the UK and one family in Canada. And like, it just resonates with me because I just, I cannot imagine myself doing this traditional thing that so many people do and it's and it's not like a fault of people right it's like it's what we do it's what our society does right like you you have this name picked out if you're if you are gonna have a girl and you have this name picked out if it's a boy and you you know like you're gonna paint the room this color if it's a girl and this color if it's a boy and like well we'll get this cousin's hand me down you know just like everything right is so gendered but it's so unnecessarily gendered right and it just I, I i couldn't see myself doing it and so i was teaching gender and sexuality at the time in a university setting like i knew how to talk about this i really understood the data and i just was like we have to have a crack at this like you know i don't know how this is gonna go this could be this could be a total disaster but like i will regret not doing it more than yeah. i will regret doing it I think you know so so that's that's kind of where the decision happened and because there was no possibility models for gender creative parenting I was like well we'll we'll be them you know well we will have an Instagram account and we'll start a blog and I will create we'll create resources to help people understand how you can not assign a gender to your kid you can give them all the opportunities and um really give them a lot of gender freedom and just help them make their own way to their own gender and give them the language that they need and the safety that they need to be able to communicate that to you when they're ready. Incredible. And what resources you have created, my goodness. Um, I, 
I just kind of want to go back to um, so the, the individuals that you were meeting and interacting with that um, sounds like had a really quite significant impact um, on that decision that, that you made to, to practice um, gender creative parenting. Is it, I wonder if you could speak to um, the impact it had on them of um, being assigned, assigned a gender that they didn't um, identify with um, and their experiences of being socialized in that gender. I think it would be really insightful um, for, for, for those particularly parents listening um, to sort of understand like the realities of, of, of what that means um, mm-hmm. to children experiencing that. Sure, so, so I have friends who are transgender who maybe like a like a for example transgender man who um hated wearing dresses right and like really wanted to wear um clothes that are marketed to boys but was forced to wear dresses right and so all of these like childhood photos of him are just always of him right with like long ponytails and dresses and tights and like you know like little mary janes and just like miserable um and like that kind of stuff we're like wanting to get um certain toys but being told that like he like no you can't have those like those are toys for boys you're a girl like just all of these things you know were happening and like this man like you know knew like i am a boy this isn't what i want but like had no agency in being able to decide what haircut you know to have as a child what clothes to wear as a child what sports to you know go to as as a child um being able to like offer up a name that they actually liked to hear more right or so so those kinds of things that it would just it just weighs weighs on him and so now when he looks back on his childhood it's just like memory after memory of not feeling like he's being heard not you you know Mm -hmm. like not feeling like he has the agency to be able to like express himself how he wants to so like that's an example and I have friends who are intersex and whose parents knew they were intersex when they were infants but like the doctors and social workers said like nope you need to assign a gender to your child and you need to you know withhold their diagnosis as an intersex person and you need to just like double down and socialize them as a girl and you you know and like and when they're old enough we're gonna take their testes out and we're gonna tell them that they had some cancerous ovaries and so so I have many friends who have that kind of story where like their parents were told by medical professionals right like you need to lie to your child to um to protect them and then these you know these these people my friends they get older and they are they then get their medical records and they start reading into it and they see these diagnoses and like these charts right and then they find out as adults what that they are that they're intersex right and that they've been lied to their whole life and that they have had um organs removed right like surgery is done without their consent and so i just think like meeting people like that right where it's like well none of that had to happen right like intersex variations are just a natural occurrence in all species and of course it's a natural occurrence in humans and 
how wonderful, right? Like it's about 1.7% of the population. So about one in every thousand babies. So it's just as common as having a child with red hair or having twins, right? Which we all like most people when they get pregnant are like, Oh, I wonder if it's going to be twins. Right. And then do they also recognize that like, well, you've also got the same probability that your child could be intersex, you you know? So Mm. I think like, Ooh, I wonder if they're intersex, you know, like, so I just think it, it was meeting people like that or meeting, meeting, um, queer people who had gotten kicked out of their homes, you know, just, or just even meeting just like gender, like people who would be considered gender non-conforming, right? Like boys who all they wanted to do was like do ballet, but their dad's like beat them you know when they were asking for it because that is that's not for boys that's for girls right just this like toxic bullshit about gender right that just people are so caught up in that that is so traumatizing and if we could just let boys do ballet if we could just let you know kids pick their haircuts if we could just say what toys are you interested in playing in and just celebrating kids for who they are right just like imagine just how much more wholesome and loving, you know, and affirming childhoods could be and and then therefore adolescence and adulthoods as well. Absolutely. I think that the power of as a parent kind of practicing really seeing your child, um, I sort of like to talk about that, you know, really sort of seeing them, observing them and doing that with a complete openness um, is such a gift to a child where you sort of remove you remove all of your preconceptions and and you almost sort of revert to a like a try and come back to a beginner's mindset around them like um because even even those of us who feel like we're you know we're not trying to push them in a certain direction and you know we just want them to be happy and do whatever they want actually often there is a lot of subconscious you know nudging here and nudging there and pushing them there and shutting that door um even when we um, don't always realize it. And I think um, obviously um, some of the examples that you're talking about um, are quite extreme, but I think there's a spectrum of that lack of openness that exists um, in all of us. And it's such an important reminder of just the power of, yeah, just seeing your child and allowing them to explore um the possibilities of who who they are and who they could be Mm. well just giving them the language right and i think that that can happen so much through childhood and play and i i think too often people think of gender and sexuality as like grown-up topics and they so aren't right like we can normalize gender diversity and help counter stereotype things in play all day right like from from birth and so i think that it's actually like it's so wonderful by um giving this language to your kids and kind of helping them understand this and like kind of helping them grow up in this different type of scaffolding that isn't blue and pink and isn't divided and isn't you know like restricted or expected and really just kind of helping them climb along this rainbow scaffolding of childhood where it's like, and this is what this word means. And this is this person. And like, if, if these words resonate with you, let me know. And we're going to talk about it some more, you know? And I think that like, cause I can see it, I can see the outcome of that in zoomer. Like 
you know, around his fourth birthday, he was like, I love he, him pronouns and I'm a boy. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, you know, like cool. And, yeah. and, and like, so he, we had given him all the language that he needed to be able to, you know, say like, oh yeah, like these pronouns fit, this label fits, this is where I fit. But also we had given him all of the clothing options and all of the hairstyle options and all the toy options. And so the way he expresses himself isn't very like totally stereotypical like you know like he he actually has a really funky way that he expresses himself and I think it's because he got to just wander you know along gender for so long um but he also it, it comes out in his language like in the play that we do like he talks about you know like a toy having two daddies or he talks about like a toy having a non-binary sibling and you you know like there's a lot like there's a lot of gender diversity that happens in our play and and it's totally because I'm plugging it in you know (laughs) yeah 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 I love that I love the idea of wandering through your gender um that's a really nice thought so how does it work in practicality (laughs) how do how does one do um gender creative parenting Mm. to to someone um potentially who's been raised in let's just say quite a stereotypical family um you know different generation is kind of coming at this quite fresh how does a parent start to embody some of the principles of gender creative parenting yeah so i think that most people like most feminist parents or progressive parents can do the majority that like that I do right like I think some of the things that maybe make me a bit more radical or on like one end of the spectrum of this is that we didn't assign a gender to zoomer and so we didn't say like this is a boy or girl or our our daughter or our son we were just like this is zoomer um Mm. you know like they're our baby and we're just going to give them the space you know to like explore gender we used we used they them pronouns so like they them theirs we use these gender neutral pronouns um for zoomer and we wouldn't really correct people with like if we were in the grocery store and someone was like oh she's so cute you know we'd just be like thank you you know we weren't like stopping the nice stranger didn't saying like well we use they them pronouns you know like it was just like thank you (laughs) and so I actually think that like um until your child has has identified with a gender then like they're not really being misgendered if they are a two-year-old at a park and someone says you know, it's your daughter and someone says he's so cute. Right. Like we don't really have to be like, oh, well, she's a girl. Right. Like, right. Like if 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 the kid hasn't told us yet. like, So I just think it's OK to hold space for that. Right. To like let your kids mm. hear a bunch of different pronouns and labels. Um, and we didn't tell we didn't we don't disclose Zoomers genitals to people because that's really where like the script comes in. Right. Like if it's you know if the baby has a penis and I've got the boy blue script and a vulva is like the girl pink script so it was just kind of a way of not giving someone the cue like the clues you you know right like that they would need that like just kind of like send them down this just like never-ending rabbit hole of unconscious and explicit bias um so that was pretty cool. I mean, I think like as, as eventually though, like Zoomer went to preschool and Zoomer went to daycare. And so there were teachers who were changing Zoomer's diaper. Right. So like there were like certain people who knew, but just like generally we just didn't talk about it because we just didn't think people needed to know because they don't. Mm. Um, and 
And then like the biggest thing that anybody can do was just like really using gender neutral language and like narrating the world in an inclusive, diverse and equitable way um, so that like, you know, like kids brains are so malleable, right? They learn about the world from their parents and their friends and the media and like everything that they're exposed to. And so we were just like, we are going to help Zoomer understand gender in a very nuanced way because that's the reality of it. Right. Like, so, so that's, I think that that was really important and just constantly showing Zoomer all the toys and all the clothes and using yeah. all the adjectives. Right. And just like, really trying to curate this really expansive colorful um world for for zoomer um and i think anybody can do that right like yeah anybody can do that so and anybody can do what we did like yeah maybe you assigned a gender and most people know your child as she her but if you want to use they them or throw in some he hims at home go for it you know and and you know and as children age you know and can kind of cognitively understand being able to say like hey like when you were born i took a guess about what your gender would be and like you know i did something that's you know like that kind of in our society we do we assign a sex and gender to people based on their bodies and you had this kind of body but like i just want you to know that like i might have gotten that wrong and like you can totally tell me if i if i did right like i think like creating that dialogue which i think is really important in parenting anyway of like I'm your parent, but I don't know everything. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I am. Yeah, you, you know, we're partners in this and you definitely know yourself better than I know you. Yeah. And so I want to be here to support and affirm you. And we see the best outcomes with that. Yeah. I'm going to assume that you've had lots of um, potential criticism and comments around confusing children I'm just hypothesizing that that's probably one of the things that you may have been challenged with is that is that fair to say yeah yeah and what what's what are your what are your thoughts on that um around um yeah I suppose around how 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 you feel in your experience if um there have any at any times been any points of confusion or moments where you've thought oh um what do I say here or is that just um people being incredibly um I would say quite shallow and possibly undervaluing a child's ability to actually navigate quite complex topics because ultimately it is about them right. and um I, I think that children know themselves and they're so intuitive um and it's almost like we have to trust ourselves more to allow them to tap into that I just wondered what your thoughts were on on that that particular challenge around confusion yeah so uh, I think that so so people will say right like your kid needs to know like how could you withhold this from them and I think a lot of people think that we don't like talk to Zoomer about his body you know you know like Zoomer has always grown up knowing the anatomical words to yep. be able to describe his body and and all bodies right and like we just talk about so we talk about anatomy in in just like anatomical words not gendered words right so like we when Zoomer was as Zoomer has grown we've just talked to them about like 
some people have penises and some people have vulvas and some people have uterus and some right and like and, and like we talked to him about like what puberty means and like what that what what hap what can happen and and so people are like you're confusing your kid and it's like zoomer actually really understands bodies and anatomy yeah. right like actually probably more than a lot of a lot of kids because a lot of kids just get taught about it of like those are girl parts and those are boy parts right like but we're teaching we're just trying to like separate these these things um but then but also recognizing that like we live in a gendered world right and so being able to tell zoomer like so some, you know, like a lot of people with vulvas um, are girls, but not everybody. There are some boys and non-binary people with vulvas and intersex people with vulvas, right? Like, and so like, we're just, which is true. So I think that like when people are like, you're just confusing your kid. I think that that comes from such a cis-normative and tran yeah. transphobic space, right? Of like, mm, no, we're not confusing Zoomer. We're just trying to help him understand the reality of gender and bodies, right? Because then he is going to grow up to be, and, and he will, there was, there's less likelihood that he's going to be transphobic or, you, you know, or homophobic or yeah. you know, misogynistic. So, so, so that was one of the things. And I think like, yeah, there were some points in growing up, you know, where Zoomer Zoomer was paying attention to how people were um, were reacting to, to to him, and for a really long time, he had long hair, and he recognized that people were calling, you know, like like before he was kind of identifying with the gender, um, and and even after, like it was kind of an interesting period where he was like, I really want to get my hair cut. And this was like all around the time that he was like, I'm a boy. I want to use he, him. I use he, him pronouns. He's like, I want to cut my hair. And a big part of that was gendered, right? He's like, mm -hmm. oh, people call me. He's like, people think I'm a girl. And, and, and so, and so, I mean, he, you know, he had moments where he's like, am I a girl? And it's like, well, you know, you're a girl if you feel like you're a girl and you're a boy. If you feel like a boy and there are boys who have long hair and girls who have short hair, and you, you know, and so so being able to have those kinds of conversations. But that's not just because of gender creative parenting. Right. Anybody can be having those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Like so if you have like a boy with long hair who's constantly being called a girl. Right. Like that they may want to like make some changes with how they're expressing themselves so that they are read by strangers as the gender that they you know that they are. So. So those kinds of things were happening. I just don't think that like that kids who are raised without an assigned gender, I don't think that they're confused. I actually think that they're given a lot of tools and framework mm. and language to be able to understand things. But there is a there is like a delay, like a delay in coming to their identity. I think like so often um, in the literature, people say um, like about early childhood development, like children's gender identities are like really concrete and solid around the age of like two to three. But I'm seeing with gender creative kids, they start to come to their identity more persistently and consistently around the age of like four. And I think mm. what's going on is like, well, kids are very good at like identifying with the labels that they have been told to identify with. Right. Like, and it's, it's similar with, with everything with like, um, like, you know, a three-year-old child who's being raised in a vegan home is going to say like, I'm vegan, right? Like a two and a half year old who's being raised in a Christian home is going to like say things like, thank you, Jesus. You, you know what I mean? So it's just like, like kids are learning their identities from yeah. their families. And so I think that one of the things that's really interesting with gender creative kids 
is like they have a little bit more time because they're not parroting back to the world what they've just been told they are every single day for the last two to three years. They've give they've been given some space. And so I actually think that like gender identity, you know, I mean, and, like, and it's variable, right? Like for sure there are some, there are, there are kids, you know, who definitely know their gender identity and communicating that when they're two. But I think like if you give a kid space and you give a kid time, right? Like it can, they explore for a little while longer, right? And then when they yeah. then when they when they show up, they're like, "This is me," you know. And then there's also this like this possibility for change, like there is with all kids, right? Like gender is totally a journey, um, and it can and it can change. And I think that that's right. Like a four year old's cognitive, <laughs> like, that, yeah. Like, I guess like that's what people say. People are like, how can you like a four year old? You're letting your, a four year old make that decision. What like do you let them have cake for breakfast? You know, like. <laughs> And it's just like, it's like, oh my gosh, like, like, I'm not assigning like a cis-normative identity or a like heteronormative identity to my kid, you know, like I'm just gonna, yeah, that's just, you're just giving the space. Yeah. I think it's so true. Um, what you say about the assumption that this is a really sort of grown up, um, mature subject, but, but actually the 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 messages that children absorb around gender like what you're saying and how they parrot them back they happen so early um even in the way that i think babies are handled um and even when they're in utero like how people are speaking to you once they know what that gender is um and when children are sort of at that age um sort of before they have um the ability to 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 sort of filter lots of different information that that's coming into them they're absorbing it all and I think around two and three they're absorbing so many messages around gender it's it's kind of crazy actually how many they're absorbing and and they form um kind of a sense of identity or an attachment or or whatever we want to call it an understanding of what that gender means um really really early on um so i think it's incorrect that we assume that it's um a a sort of mature topic um on the flip side i'd say it's in those very very early years where it is so important to give the space and i really like how you speak about um it's almost like the difference between the biological part like you know this is your body this is what you've got this is what other people have that's just a fact (laughs) that's not um kind of trying to confuse anyone or say oh maybe you should be this or maybe you should be that it's just like here's some bodies (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're out there um and then you're almost like it's it's just sort of detaching that in a way um I know it's not fully detached but but sort of detaching it from the baggage that comes with with the the gender which um is gonna come thicker and faster um later as they enter into sort of the adolescence and then and then into their adulthood um but allowing in that that very early year stage to have the space um with sort of separating the biological and then the, the sort of cultural baggage um i think is a really um is a really it's just it's just feels quite um it feels quite simple in a way to listening to to how you've spoken about it um but 
we overcomplicate it and as you say we bring in um our own prejudices and fears um and we we take it in a direction that i think in those very very early years it's just simply about um you know you are you this is your body this is what you've got this is what some other people have and let's take it from there see what happens next totally and like and your body is not going to determine which half of the store we go look at right like i think like that and that that is such a profound thing to i think a lot of people like you know because someone I, I walk into a store and i you know and someone's like can i help you find something you know and i'm like oh no i'm just like here to, to find a, a birthday present for a you know a, a seven-year-old and they're like boy or girl <laughs> you know it's like yeah that's the wrong question right like yeah. what is this seven-year-old into like science art sports you, you know puzzles like like it's just the wrong question. And, yeah. and so we keep doing that though, you know, and I, I recently had a chat with someone who was saying that their child, you know, was, it was, you know, kind of saying things that was, you know, signaling that like they are non-binary. And, and so she was like, so I, so I took them shopping and instead of going to the girl section, like we always do, like I walked over to the section for boys and she's like, and it's the first time I've done that ever, you know, in like this yeah. child's like five years on earth, you know, and it's like, what do we think is going to happen? Like, is there like a laser field? Is this, you know, like, like nothing is going to happen. Like, it's such an arbitrary boundary. And actually, you'll be surprised, right? Like, you could be surprised that like, ooh, these shorts are longer and more durable. And, you know, oh, but like this shirt, I really like this unicorn and we can't find it in the other section. So I just think like, like you, I don't think parents realize that they're like, nope, my daughter only wears pink stuff. My daughter will only wear like um, dresses. And it's like, because that's all she knows and she's gotten um validation from that when she goes out and everybody tells her how beautiful she looks right like she is learning like a like a reward response that is yeah that is you know saying that her her appearance is the most important thing about her because that's what everybody's commenting on yeah and i think that one is also something that i think can be quite um difficult for parents to understand is my child really into this particular thing, let's just say princesses, because they are really into it? Or have they been somehow like culturally conditioned by the marketing machine um, to like that? Do you have any thoughts Mm. on like, how do you pull it apart? Because obviously, if a child is really into that, and they're really passionate about it, I think that's, that's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I guess what what we want less of is being is being like just put into these boxes and like shoehorned into these demographic little pigeonholes um, because that's what um, popular culture is telling us. This is what you should be into right now. This is what girls or boys your age um, are interested in. And then suddenly you're caught up all in the same narratives, all in the same teachings, all in the same archetypes. Um, And that I think does become problematic so 
do you have any thoughts on how to you mm. <laughs> if if a child is really into something and, it, and perhaps it is particularly gendered how do you know if they're really into it or if they've just been sucked into the machine I, I don't think you do know I th- so I yeah. a, a guy I view gender and like identity and expression as just as totally this like mosaic right and it is there are so there's so much input and I think that there is parts of our identity and expression that are very innate, right? Like our personality, like things that we are just just biologically inclined to, for sure. I think that there's that. I think like the the nature side of things, right? I think that's very real. And then there's the nurture side of things and like the environment and the culture and the time and like, you know, what, where are we growing up and what kind of input is coming to us from like our families or our peers and the media like that is, you know, that is a huge force, too. So like I just and I think it's impossible to untangle it retrospectively right like yeah and i and i and it's also like it's okay right we're all influenced by it like you know and i mean if you were to look back and like you know the clothes that you wear or like how you like your hair or like do you like manicures or not do you like you know like how do you feel about makeup like whatever like it's it's i think it's really hard to untangle like how much of this is conditioned right like i i can't parse that apart at all but I do know, yeah. like that socialization is totally real, right? And like, but I, but I also because I know so many kids who are non-binary and who are trans, um, or you know, who just don't conform to these stereotypes, that does lead me to believe like there's so much about nature in here, right? You know, of like all of this was stacked against you, and you are still like so resilient and fabulous you know in spite Mm. of how many people have been trying to tell you not to be like that and so i think that like that's got to be nature you know right like yeah it's easier to conform um yeah so definitely and i think the context that you put around these things is so important as well so my both my children i have a boy and a girl um both of them we've always sort of played with makeup and I think people get caught up in this whole, oh, I don't know whether I should let my child, um, particularly girl, um, play with makeup because I don't know if it's sort of conditioning them into beauty ideals and things like that. But I've always found um, playing with um, the face and the body and sort of mirrors, if you're able to do that in a context that's about sort of artistry um, and creativity and expression. Um, And so the words that you use, it's not so much about like, you know, you're, it's not so much about enhancing yourself or, you know, making yourself pretty or beautiful. It's about like the colors that you choose and and, and the lines that you draw and and the looks that you pull together. Um, And I think, that's quite a good example of how um, if a child is, if you're not sure if they're being drawn to something that, you know, is is potentially conditioning them, I think the language that you you parrot back to them um, as, as they play with it um, and the context that you put around it can have such a fundamental difference on how they relate to that particular um, toy or play pattern or whatever it is that they're interested in. Oh, totally. And I'm like, I'm the first to say like, dresses are awesome. Makeup is awesome, right? Like nail polish is awesome. Sparkles are awesome. Like go for it. And I think that so often there can be this, um, there can be this like, I'm going to do this like gender neutral parenting and I'm not going to let my girl play with 
Barbies and I'm not going to let her watch like Disney princesses, you know, and it's like, um, like that's not what gender creative parenting is about, you know, like gender creative parenting is more about like, just like put it all out there like a buffet. Right. And don't, and there's no expectations or restrictions. You're not forcing them to one side. You're not like, like forcing them away from one side. Right. It's just like, just put it all out there. And I think kind of showing up in almost like a, a positively neutral way. Right. Of like, like, you know, like Zoomer would play with my makeup and, and, but also we tried to teach Zoomer about like how both mom and dad we 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 really care about taking care of ourselves and like we, we kind of talk about it more like grooming and expression you know and like and so that he's learning that like okay like mom and dad like both spend some time in front of the mirror and actually like they're using similar products a lot of the time you know i mean like it's just kind of like this positive neutrality and also making sure to like never talk badly about our bodies in front of zoomer because that's where mm-hmm. zoomer learns it right like i don't like like so just trying to make sure that there isn't this like transmission of like femme phobia or fat phobia to zoomer you know because because that's yeah. like that's so where kids pick it up right like my mom never left the house without like a full face of makeup on never but she never made it seem like she expected the same of us ever right like mm. you know and she mm. really didn't talk about it she wasn't just like I couldn't possibly leave without makeup on you know and so I think I grew up kind of actually feeling quite neutral about makeup like I like it I wear a little bit of it but I didn't grow up thinking that like if I don't wear it that I'm not as beautiful right or attractive as like yeah. I am without it and so I just I'm, I'm I'm grateful for that you know and I think like right like our bodies change and I think you know like especially if you're a gestating parent like pregnancy can do a, some work on your body you know and I think that yeah. just being able to like show up with that in just a really like body positive way um, sends a really great message to kids right and can kind of like like so many people who you hear from are like well I grew up with like a mom who was like constantly commenting if I gained a pound or like needed to get Mm. jeans that were bigger right and it's like that Mm. is not the world we need to be you know like creating Mm. for kids so I don't know just like I just think there's just there's so much power in what we say and what we don't say and how we say it you know that it's just like I'm pretty I just try to be really conscious about that because I know that like yeah I'm I am like the number one input for how Zoomer is coming to have a perspective about the world. Yeah. And because I champion a playful mindset, I think that um, this doesn't have to be something that's really scary and intimidated and that you're terrified that you're going to get wrong. And if you say the wrong word, that's it. You've blown it. I think this can actually be a really exciting opportunity to... um, expand and explore your own identity and to to experience what it feels like to not have a fixed mindset to live in a way that's quite kind of flexible and open because ultimately that is a more fun existence when you're trying to live within like such fixed binaries left or right black or white like it that's that's hard Um, and I think um you know parents of listening to this um rather than approaching this as a way of I don't want to like I want to get this wrong or Mm. have to do this like really perfectly um I think actually see it as an opportunity for your own 
self-development like I find it really fun to just sort of sit back and be like who is this kid this week <laughs> like what's what's going on with them like you know what's and and try and like get really sort of curious and really sort of see them as the expert in themselves rather than it's your you know your everything is so pressure laden on you to to kind of do this sort of perfect parenting I think if you can make a shift to being like they know themselves like they are the expert in them I'm kind of here to to learn from them um and so sort of facilitate that um as much as I can um I think it just sort of yeah takes Mm. takes the takes the pressure off a bit I just want to because um I feel like I could talk for hours but (laughs) I really want to touch on toys um and and at the start you mentioned the relationship between capitalism and gender inequality um, and we've touched a couple of times on the sort of toy industry and I think sort of you know working um in in sort of brands and marketing myself for for quite a long time I get very frustrated that design is really designed uh for children from the point of demographics um and it's really quite frustrating not only because it leads to this sort of um, blue pink divide but also I just find it so boring um from an innovation point of view starting from someone's age and someone's gender it's like you immediately have that baggage come come with that um and I just think it leads to just the same old same old same old um so I think it's kind of um to me it also doesn't make much sense from a sort of commercial perspective either I think we the 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 brands and businesses that pump out um content and and toys and product do so based on you know what has historically sold um rather than taking more risks into perhaps people don't even know that they want this yet or don't shop in this particular way um and i just don't see as much kind of radical movement there as as i would quite like to um and i just i yeah i suppose i would love to get your thoughts on how how would you advise um parents who want to embrace gender creative parenting to approach things like uh, TV shows, toys, books, and uh, the sort of popular culture that, that consumes our, our children. Do you have any thoughts on how you um, kind of navigate that? Because to some extent, it's, it, it can be out of our control, particularly the, the older that they get. Mm. Yeah, I, um, I have found right, like that as Zoomer gets older, I have less of an influence right on what he wants to watch but I can kind of in- encourage him in some ways but I also think that Zoomer really likes <laughs> playing with me and he really likes watching shows with me and so he 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 is mindful of like what I might be interested in as well um which is really quite sweet like um and so and 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 it's gotten to a point even like he knows that I really disapprove of shows where there's violence in it and unfortunately even with like children's shows there can be you know like these like really aggressive robotic dinosaurs beating the shit out of each other and stuff and it's just like and and my go-to is just like 
are they being nice to each other? Like, is that is this show teaching us how to be good friends? And he recognizes if it is or if it isn't, and he opts out. And and I, you know, I, like that's kind of like I don't want to be so bossy because I don't think that's really helpful, right? Like if I'm like mm. absolutely not, absolutely not. Um, and so, so he's gotten to a point where like he'll, he'll be watching a show and he'll go, oh, like mom, I need you to change the show that these these. They're not being good friends. They're not being nice friends to each other. And so it's like, cool, right? Like I'm like, like, Aww. like trying to, trying to get in that way. But we also use it as like, I, I'm like, we've talked about this before, Emma. I'm just like, I'm so bored by, by children's media. Like yeah. I just, I yeah. just think, especially because all of these two to five year olds right now who are watching all of these shows are being raised by millennial parents. And like, my God, we are much more liberal and queer and like need some, like we need, we need these shows to be shaken up. Right. And like, so what if you piss some people off and lose some people like, like, ah, so, so I try to use it as an opportunity to just, to just pop in some things every now and again, when I'm seeing something that might be like problematic. Um, but, but with, um, let me think of, I've lost my train of thought. It has, it has derailed. Um, oh, so like with toys, for example, like I'm also very bored with toys, but I like that, like, because it's always been our habit to just look at all the aisles. Like we spend a lot of time, you know, like we, we spend more time on average because, um, zoomers toy interests are pretty diverse. Like he loves Lego and he loves hot wheels, but he, and he loves art and he loves games. And so, and he really likes looking at toys. And so, so he, we use sticker charts, like, you know, for kind of like some positive Mm. reinforcement. So like, if you get yourself dressed for school every day, you get a sticker and at the end you can, you know, we can, and we talk to him about what he would want. Like, would you want to go get ice cream? Would you want to go get a little toy? Would you, what would you want to do? So, one of the things was um, like one of his sticker charts he he earned out today, and so we went to Kmart and and we told him you know like you, you've got about ten bucks to spend in here, and so he was walking around everything and he like had all the Lego, <laughs> which is embarrassing. <laughs> He's like, "There's no new Lego," and I was like, "Yeah, sorry, kid." So then, <laughs> so then we started walking around though, and he found this like bucket of like rainbow glitter ooze. And he's like, how much is this? You know, and I'm like, $5. And he's like, this. <laughs> you know? and, like, <laughs> and so, you know, and we're just like, awesome, cool. You know, like, so like he, he, he has this autonomy, you know, like in, in choosing toys. And he came home and he played with that $5 ooze for like 45 minutes. And he was so creative and he was so funny. He was like, I need a plate, you know? And so I give him a plate and then he like dumps the ooze on it. And then he like puts his foot in it, you know? And then I mean, it was just like... <laughs> It was just so funny to watch him, you know, just like have the best time with this like five dollar ooze. But like something came up because he's been kind of resistant to glitter lately. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, like, is this like a femphobia thing? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, are you learning which side of the binary glitter is on? You know, but there was all this glitter in the ooze. And I was like, so what do you think about the, I'm like, that's cool that there's glitter in there, you know? And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I like glitter and ooze. I just don't really like glitter on my shirts, you know? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, you know, like in trying to give him space for that, right? Like, you know, and, and he kind of corrects me sometimes, you know, where I'm just like, cause I think sometimes because I'm this gender creative parent, I think sometimes like, right. It's like, I want, I want kids to want things that are, you know, counter stereotypical. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's also very sweet to be able to say, like, 
some people are different and some people are the same and some people like glitter, you know, and then I have to think about and I have to go, you know, I don't wear glittery shirts or, you know, I don't, I don't really wear, you know, and so being able to even like kind of deconstruct that in my own mind Mm. of like, I have clearly put this in a binary way and like, Mm. you know, and like, and I shouldn't be um policing right like, so it's just it's just it's it's all very complicated and i probably overthink a lot of things you know but it's just kind of just like trying to find the like um space to support him in who he is you know yeah. while like kind of like injecting life lessons you know that are yeah. about kindness and you know in, in inclusion and um yeah and being yeah well-rounded and i love I love how you talk about the, the buffet because I, yeah, pick, pick a mix. Is that like a global thing or is that an English thing? Pick a mix sweets? No. Oh, candy. No. You know, like where you go and you have different types of candies oh, and you, like, and you weigh mi- it or mix something. them. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, um, I think that's how life should be lived. I <laughs> think life is more enjoyable when it's just like a big, a big pick and mix and you know you might have a few sours or some people might want all sour sweets and some people like might really be into like the chocolates and it's kind of like how you're describing it it's just like yeah whatever like we all have our own tastes and it's about having the um the confidence but also the um the openness it really is that openness to 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 kind of try or go towards things that feel intuitive and impulsive to you I think that's that's kind of what's what's key um and I love how you talk about it um thank you uh, so much for for talking um to me I feel like I immediately need to just schedule in another chat because I really want to <laughs> talk a bit more about my son Phoenix and like yeah just the experience of him having long hair and not being into um kind of traditional um male sports and particular games um it's incredible how challenging it's been at times when um it's you know in comparison to other examples of people who are experiencing really quite complex um gender identity challenges his is like really basic to me like he's Mm. he's just like doesn't really like football and doesn't really kind of join in in particular games and he's just quite sort of arty and creative and he's got long hair like it's really it's really not a big deal um but how how challenging that has been but um thank you so much for joining me for this conversation i know um people find it really insightful and loads of great pointers as well with um how we can all be a little bit more gender creative in our parenting approach thanks emma thanks kyle well there we go thank you so much kyle i think that was such an insightful and just fascinating conversation about how we can bring the principles of gender creative parenting into how we're socializing our little people um and yeah it's really really optim it makes me fills me with optimism to think that there is more of this content and people like Kyle out in the world um helping people supporting yeah, cer- people yeah with that. certainly blew me away ems you you also you didn't try and keep i told i told you try and keep this to an hour <laughs> because people like to just digest things but nope you just went and producer 
husband was having a meltdown yeah, you got on your the little, switches. Your little uh, stop clock out there. Oh, yeah, I've got to compress the <laughs> heck out of this file now to make it digestible for all your listeners. Yeah, well, you can handle a file this size. I think you can. Yeah. Now, I thought you'd be interested in that chat about toys. and I love toys. Um, yeah, the sort of pink, blue of toys and how in the 70s, it was really, really gender neutral. Um, that was yeah. like the kind of... Disco. Yeah, well, that was the sort of like childhood... If you look at the colours of the 70s, and I don't know if you've seen, there's this Lego ad from the 70s that constantly gets resurfaced on social media. It's a girl, she's kind of in dungarees. Sin it. Yeah, she's got some red Oh my God, in. you can't load up Instagram without being bombarded <laughs> with that. And it always gets sent to me and it kind of keeps resurfacing and when people see it they're like oh my gosh why aren't toys like this and like we've gone backwards and pinkification and it's kind of true like the 90s the 2000s sort of um massive like radical um genderfication of toys took Mm -hmm. place um with the commercialization of childhood um and yeah, it's something we sort of talk about sometimes because we love like nostalgic toys, don't we? Um, and we, I look at sometimes because you've got He-Man in the cabinet. Damn straight. He-Man. And I think, oh, I just don't think He-Man in a modern context, Masters of the Universe. No, I think he's, he's Big, so, Tell you one thing about He-Man. He's absolutely stacked. No, I was getting... Well, tanned. He's very tanned. <laughs> but I don't think when he's Prince Adam, I don't think he's as tanned. I think when he transforms into He-Man, oh. he just gets a truckload of bronzer on. Like he's going into like a bodybuilding competition. Yes, exactly that. Funny though, they are rebranding it and um, it may have a place. I don't know, there's a big, there's a Netflix show coming out, an animated one. Mm, maybe. Um, I know, the licensing of things, I, I push back on, but then all of the nostalgic stuff I like yeah. are licenses. Mm. Um, but I'm tapping into my childhood with that. Mm. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think that they don't put enough thought into toys and toy lines and they just... Yeah. I don't know. I find it very uninspiring. Yeah. Toy shops. Yeah, we were talking about. Um, they may have had their day, to be honest with you. People just make up their own stuff now. Mm. Do you need to go to Smiths and buy a toy? You do. I certainly do. <laughs> a Star Wars Black Series, yes, very much so. You, but I really like the way that you um, play with action figures. Um, I think it's it's the the action figure play is very imaginative, like because. You have to. You're sort of creating all these scenes. Oh, you're role playing your face off. You're role playing your face off. No, you massively are. But it's what more... I like to do is I like to sit down and watch a film and just have like a Star Wars Black Series in my hand and just twiddle it around. That's nice. Just pose That's it. That's nice. It's more that like if you're playing with IPs, it's important that those characters that they're writing into those stories are what Kyle was talking about possibility models. So they kind of expand children's ideas of what a man could be a woman could be a parent could be a whatever yeah. um so that's important i think for, for but you're talking about writers. a pretty are you i mean i feel like you're talking about a very thin slice of society here because when i go to smith's i mean i see a lot of people having a good time in that pink section and then in that yeah. blue section yeah and they're yeah. they're just um consuming what they're being fed there 
What I'm saying is, I mean, how many people are this woke to the toy thing? Because it shocks me how many um, uncomfortable dads you get when, um, I don't know, their son might gra- um, gravitate to a... Kitchen. I don't know, yeah, a kitchenette. Yeah, a doll. A doll. Or a doll. Love a kitchenette. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, you always say, nothing turns you on more than a man cooking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen very often around here. <laughs> no. But, I mean, it's so weird to think that seeing your son playing with a kitchen would upset you. That's no, I think, I think you're right. I think we're still... It's like, shove a tool in his, in his ass. We're still... <laughs> we're still on the progressive end that we're talking about here. But times... Me and Scout times have be changing. a blast playing with dolls. And it would, it would be so strange to think... If I was to suddenly like snap out of what I was doing and be like, oh, no, Scout, we can't do this. We've just been having a really good time yeah. with this doll. But um, no, yeah. we're not allowed because yeah. you're a boy. That's so strange. But then people, you know, you've got to cut people some slack. People are hardwired ends. Tell you what we have got to cut. What? This podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Producer husband has got the ability to ramble on. Yeah, you're supposed to be able to wrap things up. Oh. Not, not... <laughs> well, who you got coming on next week? That's what I want to know. Don't know. Okay. Anyway, it's going to be great. <laughs> see okay. you next time. Well, no, no, we're not going to see you next time because you haven't promoted anything and you you haven't said, um, you know. That's why you're here. Yeah. Okay, right. So don't forget to follow me on Patreon. You can sign up to the playground. It is £5 a month for awesome extra content from me and my family <laughs> yeah i think you're gonna you're gonna get this podcast early on, on patreon yeah this would drop this podcast early to the patrons um what else follow me follow me on instagram playful underscore den go check out my blog um yeah that was all right you're gonna work on that we'll i'll do, work on that yeah we'll do better next time okay bye bye